Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And how have you served the realm? By eating cake? Welcome to Dragoncast. Home of House of the Dragon. Gather your small council, send out your ravens and call in your bannermen. I'm Hand of the King Jamie East, here to guide you through the highly anticipated return to Westeros. Hello and welcome to Dragoncast, home of House of the Dragon. I'm your host and maester of ceremonies, Jamie East. We had another great response to the podcast last week. Thank you all so, so much for listening and for watching on YouTube. And please remember to give us a like, give us a share, ring the bell, all that other boring stuff, because it really, really does help us out. Right, on with the show. Joining me this week to deep dive into all the hot D action are, as always, journalist, writer and the perfectly manicured nails on the hand of the king, Mr. Chris Mandel. Hello. And this week's very, very special guest. On the big screen, he's performed in films directed by Oliver Stone and Richard Attenborough. But our producer Connor reckons the best film he's ever been in is the 96 cult classic Space Truckers, which also features a career-defining performance from Charles Dance. If you haven't seen it, seek it out. But on the small screen, he's appeared in Doctor Who, Line of Duty, and some little cult classic show called Game of Thrones. He was an actual knight of the King's Guard. It's Sir Merrin Trant himself, Mr Ian Beatty. Ian, sir, how are you? How are you all? Ah, oh, lovely to see you. Good to see you, Jamie. Hi, Chris. Hi. How are you doing? Very well. Very, very well indeed. Life is good at the moment and thoroughly enjoying the new chapter of Game of Thrones. So how does it feel kind of watching it, knowing all of the experience that you've had of making the show and being a star of the show? A part of it is just a little bit heartbreaking that I couldn't come back as my great, great, great grandfather, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. I would love that. It's fantastic. You know, when you're there and you're filming it and you know the work that has gone into it and the uh, production values on House of the Dragon are just as good as Game of Thrones. I've always said that if House of the Dragon was half as good as Game of Thrones, it would still be pretty damn good. Um, But it's easily as good. It wraps you in there straight away. It has all the production values, the direction, the story. The story is everything. And the story has you gripped and glued from the first minute. Uh, The characters are fantastic in it. Once again, the casting has been impeccable in this uh, show. Uh, And to be able to see all the work because I know all the work that has gone in uh, to this show. And it is fantastic. It really is. Now, before we get stuck into episode three, there was big kind of Big House of the Dragon news this week. Just just as it was announced that season two had been commissioned, co-showrunner and director of some of the greatest episodes of television ever uh, committed to the screen, uh, Miguel Sapochnik, he stepped down from the hit new series, which he spent three whole years developing. Now, Ian, did you appear in any of Miguel's episodes of, of, of Thrones? Alas, Miguel only really came on board on season six 
I exited at the end of season five. So I never had the pleasure and the privilege either of meeting him or working with him. Uh, but he directed some incredible episodes, as we all know. Uh, my favorite episode in the entire series was Battle of the Bastards which was just genius. Uh, Miguel, <clears throat> I heard a story on set that Miguel actually showed his genius. They were running out of shooting time. They had a certain amount of time to shoot the battle and they were running out of time. And there was a piece in the script that they felt they weren't going to have time to uh, film. So Miguel was the one who came up with the idea. Get me a camera, put it on a crane, will suffocate Jon Snow. That was made up on the day. That scene where Jon is fighting to get air yeah, yeah. was made up on the day and shows you the genius of Miguel, but that whole episode was just summing. Alas, I never got to work with him, uh, but, uh, you know, his credentials speak for themselves. Chris, he cited the fact that I think he's, well, he didn't say it outright, but burnout, I, I, I suspect, is part of one of the reasons. It's a pretty intense show to work on, you know, even if you're just an extra, let alone the showrunner and 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 devising and and kind of giving birth to to House of the Dragon as he has, was it a surprise to you? I, I was really surprised because I thought when they announced House of the Dragon, having someone like Miguel there was a really helpful connective tissue for fans of Game of Thrones. Like that, you can trust what we're doing. Like, look who we've got involved. Um, so I was really surprised because I thought you would lock him down and get him to sign the most watertight contract in the Seven Kingdoms. Um, but I think he's doing a first look deal with HBO on new projects. So for me, it kind of is a win-win. First of all, his work is going to be going into like completely new mediums and new shows. I'd love to see what he does with something modern. I'd love to see that sensibility approach to like different genres. The other thing is, he has succeeded in making House of the Dragon feel like the world that we're familiar with, but the next Miguel Sapochnik, who may work on season two, who may direct an iconic episode in season three of House of the Dragon, is just around the corner. And I think it's really good to sort of think of it as like, yeah, we'll miss his impact on the show and his involvement, but like, I can't wait to see like how they do something completely different as well. Like it sort yeah. of feels like the best of both in a way. I think you're right. The connective tissue may, it may have been a plan all along, you know, that, that kind of a uh, bridge between Thrones and Dragon, you know, Miguel yeah. has did offer that trust, but you know, Ryan's proved himself, uh, Ryan Condell, the, the, the showrunner who even Miguel was kind of like, he's the guy, this is the guy that's, that's written all these episodes. That's, that's written the screenplay that's transformed it from the book into, into this sprawling series. You know, he's, he's still staying. And, and I think yeah. he's obviously got the ear of George as well, which always matters. Stepping into Miguel's shoes is a guy called uh, Alan Taylor, who's also directed uh, a lot of Game of Thrones sh uh, shows. Uh, in fact, Ian, you may you may have crossed his path. He directed the last two episodes of season one of Game of Thrones, helped to develop its kind of style and tone. He's also done Sopranos, Mad Men, and also uh, Rome as well, which is like one of the most creative, underappreciated HBO shows of all time. So it's going to be in safe hands. I think it's going to be in safe hands. So he did. You said he did the last two episodes of season one so he did the episode when ned stark got beheaded yeah. which i mean if you remember like the way that is shot and is beautiful with the birds flying and the, the way they don't really show it in getting yeah. beheaded that's really cool and obviously a, a real veteran i think also just really quickly for miguel the pressure to follow up like hard home battle of the bastards like you know i don't know if he worked on the long night that you know that big battle in the final season the pressure to follow that up must be seismic i, I can understand why you would want to be like i might have done all i can with like blowing people's minds in this space and i kind of want to try something else yeah no, i tend to agree 
I think um, from my perspective, I worked with Alan uh, quite a few times, actually. Uh, obviously, season one, uh, episodes uh, nine and ten. But also season three, I worked with Alan on uh, the episode King Joffrey's Naming Day, where I tried to drown Sir Dantos, the lovely Tony Way, with a vat of wine. And I can safely say that House of the Dragon is in the best possible hands. Alan is a stunning director. Uh, his attention to detail, his knowing every single step of every single character, exactly what he wants in every episode. Very, very sure of himself uh, with bloody good reason. He is a fantastic director, one of the best I've ever worked with. And I have absolutely no doubt that House of the Dragon is in the safest of hands with Alan. Look at that. You heard it here first. Uh, that's great. Right, let's get on to episode three. The reason we're all here. Um, first impressions, what did we think? I mean, last time we had a jump of six months. Uh, this time we had a time jump of three whole years. Viserys and Alicent have given birth to baby Boris Johnson. <laughs> As, as he shall now be known <laughs> and uh, we didn't even get to see their wedding that's how that's how br that's how kind of brutal the time jump was it, there's a lot of water uh has passed under the bridge ian what did you think to the episode i thought the episode once again was stunning uh you know in terms of the time jump you hardly notice it uh it, it takes the story off from uh, episode two goes straight into episode three yep two years this is what's happened we can assume that's happened we uh, can infer that that's happened but here we go and you know the time jump for me was not so jarring or shocking because uh, the story went straight on as smooth as silk uh, so i was actually very impressed with the way they were able to do that and you almost didn't notice it at all i thought yeah. it was fantastic i thought the time jump was right because it's immediately jumping now to where things are really starting to hit the fan uh, so i just as i say the time jump for me did not uh, matter quite the contrary it just got on with the important part of the story that we're all watching and we're all enjoying so to me the time jump really worked chris people have gone oh you know a few people detractors have, uh, have kind of questioned the, the kind of breadth of the, or the length of the time jumps and stuff but it, but actually that's the whole point of it is because the meat and potatoes of house of the dragon isn't with rainera and alicent being kids it's it's the battle born from the bitterness that we're seeing now right yeah, I at first I thought this is really there's it's just such a sudden jump and you know it is quite hard to take in. But actually, what this show has over Thrones is that it's quite a, a concentrated cast. So when you jump forward, you spend a lot of time learning what has happened in the interim, and it, you feel by the end of this episode really caught up in like what has changed with those characters because there are fewer characters to contend with game of thrones meanwhile had like 39 people all across the country and you had to sort of follow them at every step of the way and so i do think it worked because when the king announced last episode that he's going to marry alicent everyone's thoughts go oh my god when she has a son all hell's going to break loose and rather than wait six episodes for that to happen they jump and you go here's here now aegon's here and it's bringing up all the problems i just like how yeah, they're not sort of sitting around teasing stuff. They're getting to the, the really interesting stuff straight away. And I think that is the right thing to do. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I thought we learned so much about 
the the main the, the sort of trio of like Viserys, Rhaenyra, and Alison. It we've, I felt really caught up with like what's going on with them and what is at stake. Uh, and I think to do that with a big time jump is is quite. Well, it's quite smart. It's quite hard to do. So fair play to them. As ever, we did a Twitter space earlier on this morning for people that had got up at 2am to uh, to watch to watch Dragon. Uh, Anna came on and talked about the time jump, said she was pleasantly surprised. Have a listen to this. I was really, really pleasantly surprised. I didn't know how the time jump would work. And I felt like they made it very clear without being too much exposition on that and i think book ending the episode with the battle um at the stepstones was really well done because it built up that anticipation in the beginning and then kept you waiting for it now the uh, the episode quite cleverly bookended this rather character driven narrative with with two kind of action sequences: the war of the stepstones with the crab feeder has somehow somehow been going on for three whole bloody years despite it seemingly just being one man hiding in a cave against <laughs> dragons and the sea snakes and, and all of it. And quite how they, he's managed to kind of stay alive is beyond me, but this is a fantasy show, so in the realms of anything's within the realms of possibility. What did you make of, of that? It was it fed into the Viserys storyline really well because Damon was in trouble, we kept getting told that. The Valarians were in trouble, we kept getting told that. And in the end, Viserys did back down and come to aid, did he not? But all that that did was force Damon's hand, who decided that he would rather surrender, well, he'd rather die trying than accept any help from his brother. I mean, the, the crab feeder, it was, it was a, not, re- not a real Game of Thrones villain. He was kind of a bit of a distraction just to show the weakness in, in Damon, do you think? What did you think to it, Chris? Yeah, I have to admit, I didn't really find that, that storyline particularly interesting on a character level. I don't even think the crab feeder said anything uh, in his three episodes. Very difficult yeah, to talk when you got grayscale, Chris. When you've got a big, yeah, your face is all falling off or, okay. you know. So needs, I said this before, he needs a bit of chapstick and a, a glass of water and he'd be a lot better. But yeah. I think, yeah, as, as highlighting the, the difference in opinions in the Targaryens, I thought it was, it's been very clever. It's hard to imagine that siege or whatever you want to call it has been going on so long when he pops out and then just hides in the cave and pops, you know, it's kind of a bit, it's a bit hard to get my head around. It was around. one beach. It's just literally one bear. Yeah. It was like, you know. I thought the dragons would be able to sort of put their snout in and, you know, breathe Especially by with the, big, the, the length of the neck on, Matt, on Damon. Yeah, Matt yeah. Damon's is like a feather duster, that thing, that neck. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I found the, the, I found the politics a little bit more interesting, but what I would say about the, the bookmarking this episode with the fighting and then ending with that amazing almost like wordless. I don't think Matt Smith spoke in that final sequence, that sort of 15-minute Braveheart moment, I thought was amazing. Um, it just looked incredible. And I think that, you know, the, the dragons, the fire, the CGI, it's, it just looks like, I think I've been right in saying this, I think it looks even better than the dragons did on Thrones. I think it just looks so good. And I, it is amazing. They're doing both the things people love really well. They're doing palace intrigue they're doing like intense violence and beautifully choreographed uh, scenes i just think yeah i thought it was really really impressive Ian, what did you make of that yeah everyone loves a bit of a fight sequence well i thought i mean the opening sequence uh, with damon was uh, as usual fantastic it's lovely to see you know these dragons are you know the dragons at the height of their power in the history of westeros 
unlike the dragons which we were introduced to in Game of Thrones and then slowly got bigger and perhaps more intelligent. Uh, but these obviously, these dragons obviously have, uh, you know, a very strong intelligence and also a very strong bond with their riders. I thought the opening sequence uh, with Damon was fantastic, but it didn't hold a candle to the closing sequence. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed Matt Damon's performance in this episode. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. The battle sequence where he rose over by himself and puts up the white flag and then suddenly he's taking on hundreds. I mean, I thought it was spectacular. And I thought it was really well choreographed. I also think that this particular storyline, yes, to a certain extent, it has shown Damon's frustration. I think it has shown uh, as much Viserys' weakness in that he hasn't dealt with this until now. And what I found quite enjoyable was the fact that Damon takes the action before Viserys' help can get there. So Viserys has not helped him. He's yeah. already done it on his own. Uh, which I think is going to be quite an important piece of the jigsaw in episodes to come. Uh, I thought Damon as a man of action was fantastic. I, I really did. I, I, I just thought that whole end sequence was very, very good. I didn't initially get, I, I got it sort of halfway through, that it wasn't Damon's dragon that the dragon rider was riding, that it was yeah, another yeah. dragon. And, yeah, uh, very gratified. Yes, the Sea Smoke. What a great name for a dragon. What a great name for a dragon, absolutely. Yeah, also a great name for a scented candle. I, <laughs> I, my immediate thought was, I bet that smells delightful. A little hint of rosemary, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I must say, I, I thought Damon came out of this episode extremely strongly, getting the job done before Viserys' help arrived. I think, as I say, that will be quite an important point in the episodes to come. There was a hint of close bond between a dragon rider and his dragon as well. Um, Caraxes shielded Damon with his wing. And also when Damon got hit by the arrow, uh, Caraxes screamed at the same time. Just shows you what the kind of mythical bond there. Now, back to kind of, I guess, matters at hand with the crown. The whole of the episode was framed around baby Boris Aegon's uh, second birthday. As I would imagine Boris had for his second birthday, a hunt was um, bestowed in his honour, which, and I'm, I'm not being funny, but whenever I watch scenes like this in any kind of medieval setting, I always just think, what an absolute faff to kind of like... <laughs> They had to, there was like that tent where the part, the main kind of party was set up with the throne. There were like full mahogany tables being put in there. Some poor bastards have had to carry that, all that stuff, hundreds of miles just for Viserys to get absolutely wankered at. Um, but the hunt was there. And I guess the point of it all, I felt, was that Viserys just slightly tired and weary of the, the pomp and the kind of circumstance and being forced into a corner by assumptions being made on his behalf. And, and you know, all throughout the episode, almost every person he spoke to had an opinion on Rhaenyra's uh, marriage and also the succession. Why do you think, Chris, it is that people are so set against Rhaenyra being the heir and, and we'll come on to it in a bit, even willing to marry a two-year-old to a 17-year-old sister to stop that happening. I think it's just never been done before that 
all of the lords are like, but we've got loads of men. Why don't we get one of them to sort of like marry in and then he can be the king? And I think it's just radical. Um, but I thought what was really good about this episode was that Viserys gave us insight into what powered that decision, which was that he thought he had this like prophetic vision. And he was like, uh, that's why he sacrificed his wife to try and save his son. And he now kind of feels like he's been punished for that because the son obviously died as well in the first episode. And I think it was really good to get him to talk, just hearing him talk about how futile it is chasing these like messages from the gods. All the, all the while, they're like, if we kill this white deer, something good might happen. It might be good for everyone if we yeah. just kill this white deer. You know, it's sort of funny that they're lambasting that attitude while also trying to sort of maintain these um, symbolic gestures. But yeah, I, I, what I liked was that um, Viserys, we thought he was waiting for a son and he said to Rhaenyra, I'm not trying to replace you. I'm not trying to cut you out of the firm. It's still you. Like I, I've committed to this and it's always going to be you. And, and she didn't know that. We didn't really know that. No, we didn't Alison, know that. Alison didn't know that. And it was really interesting just to sort of like check in with them after this time jump. And he's like, unwavered. He still wants her to be on the throne after him. I think uh, you're right. I mean, the comparison I would draw is is uh, the Red Witches and Stannis's kind of uh, belief in the prince that was promised. It was a similar kind of vision, and 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 again, that turned out to be completely ill-founded. Or it depends on who who you believe, really. But yeah, the how much of uh, the crown is based on faith? I mean, isn't our crown at the moment like completely based on faith and being being head of the Church of England and yet does absolutely no good whatsoever? Um, maybe it's just a maybe it's just a, a kind of a, a commentary on 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 the monarchy. Full stop. Ian, what did you what did you make of Viserys's kind of like uh, digging his heels in with uh, with Rhaenyra as heir? Well, I think Viserys has shown his, his strengths. I think he showed quite a few weaknesses uh, during this episode as well. But he has given his word to his daughter. It's obviously the path he uh, wishes to follow and chooses to follow. And I think losing his first wife was a very, very important moment in his life and in his decision making that he did all of this and he sacrificed all these things uh, for a son when he had the daughter there all the time and a daughter of incredible strength let's not forget a very very strong young lady i think the worry obviously is that she if she does ascend to the throne she will be the first queen uh, this has not happened before this is mm. precedent setting so i think that is very very much on uh, viserys's mind and the minds of all the nobles as well uh, in regard to the hunt as well, I have to say there was something there was something extraordinarily symbolic about Viserys killing the stag that was tied and that was shackled versus uh, the the boar attack, which was much more, <laughs> in my opinion, thrilling, visceral and bloody. Yeah, the symbolism is, is is always there. You know, in the in these episodes, you, you always get these symbolisms, these touches that just give you a flavour of where things just might be going. Um, I do think Viserys b believes what he says. At this point, he believes what he says. Whether he will be allowed to carry out his wishes and have his daughter assume the throne is another matter entirely in Westeros. That's an interesting point. We'll come. We'll come back to that as well. But you picked up on the culling of the well, not the culling, but the sacrifice of the the lesser stag 
it was a really poignant scene that because yes, you're right. It was, you know, it was tied down. It was like even tied down, he still managed to miss and kind of, he, he, he looked as if he just felt like a complete failure as a King at that point where he had to be told just a little bit, just try again. His majesty might want to try a little bit to the left. And he was just kind of like a bit embarrassed about it, a bit kind of weary about the whole thing. And just the, the, the sense of disappointment from all of his kind of, people around him that it wasn't the white one that he even with all of that might and all of that majesty and all the pomp and all the people they still couldn't find the white stag because of course the white heart was was seeking out Rhaenyra presumably right at the other side of the uh, of, of the forest Let's talk about uh, a point that you picked up on just then, Ian, which is which is that um, Viserys's choice of of, of of sticking with Rhaenyra isn't going to go down particularly well with anybody. Do we think there's going to be similarities to when Ned sent the letter informing uh, Robert Baratheon of uh, Joffrey's uh, true heritage, whereby Viserys is going to desperately want Rhaenyra to be queen and to be the successor, but someone somewhere is going to put a stop to it? And who do we think that will be? Because Everyone's calling Otto the treacherous one and the one that's being duplicitous. But actually, it's now in his best interest for Rhaenyra to be offed as well, isn't it? Do we think he will... Do think, we, do think he's got the bollocks to do that, Chris? Does Otto have the bollocks to take out Rhaenyra? Yes, I think he does. I also think the the whole hunting party was his idea. And I think it was quite, quite emasculating for the king. And I don't think that's a coincidence. But I think what I came away from this episode thinking was it's great that... Viserys really believes in his daughter. That belief dies when he does, and he is not getting healthier. And I thought this was the first episode where I thought Alicent really looked like her potential future on the throne was a real threat because she found out, firstly, Viserys didn't want a second wife. She overheard that when they were in the tent. Secondly, that he still feels like his daughter should sit on the throne and not Aegon II. So I think she's the one that's going to go, well, once he's out the way, you know, I can do whatever I like. And I, that's kind of where I see this going. Okay. Ian, what do you think? I learned a long time ago, never to second guess what you think <laughs> might or might not happen. Believe me when I tell you there are surprises ahead. I have absolutely no idea. I don't believe, because this is House of the Dragon, it's like saying this is Game of Thrones, I don't believe that uh, the, the Viserys' illness is going to kill him. I, I think he's a marked man. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that. And yeah. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know who. But <laughs> things are, you know, the stakes were very much upped in this episode with suddenly a potential male heir. Plus, let's not forget another baby on the way. There could be two male heirs, you know, uh, in, in, yeah. in very short order. With Otto now suggesting a marriage between <laughs> the princess and her half-brother, who is two at the moment, you know, yeah. marriages seem to be getting younger every episode in this. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's very, very difficult to be able to second guess what we think might happen because there are surprises ahead. I mean, that's the nature of this show. There are going to be surprises. I can't read it. I cannot read it right now. Um, you know, it's just they're setting up the dominoes. It's what they do. They set up the dominoes, they give it a flick, and we watch the dominoes fall. I don't think uh, Viserys' disease is going to kill him. Um, I think it'll be quicker. Yeah, I think you're probably right. 
and it will throw the realm into complete confusion because we now have three, perhaps four potential heirs, and um, I just don't know. Can't wait to see it, but I don't know. No, likewise, I can't wait either. And uh, speaking of Otto, um, we're going to we're going to anoint him with a new name. Have a listen to Marla, who was fantastic on the Twitter Spaces this morning, who came up with this incredible nickname for Otto Hightower. Even that that was too much for anyone, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to call him Inappropriato from now on. Ve- oh, that's good. <laughs> that is good. We will be using that. So what do you think to that, Ian? Inappropriato. <laughs> Inappropriato. <laughs> try, to, try to wed off his grandson with a 17-year-old girl when he's just age two. And as you said, a half-sister at that. That's got to be up there. That's the worst Jeremy Kyle episode I've ever watched in my life. Absolutely. But it's typical of Thrones. I mean, it's typical of House of the Dragon. We won't complain. It's happened before. It'll happen again. We know what yep. happens again. So Merrin Trent, of course, uh, was not shy in his uh, in his in his perversions, was he? I still don't want to go there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Now, we talked about Alicent and, and there, and that's she has kind of like snuck in as being an enemy of Viserys, really, because just like, you, like you mentioned a minute ago, I really enjoyed their scenes, uh, Viserys and, and Alicent's scenes in this episode. There was a really good one. Was it, were they, was it when they were stood by the fire? Um, there was that huge bonfire. And I'm not being funny. I've been to a few, bon, few fireworks nights. There's no way you could stand that close to that fire. Really hot. In, impossible to stand. Maybe that's, maybe that's because they're Targaryens. Of course. Of course. Um, but I, I've always had in mind that they've, that they've actually been really well suited and they've, they're allies and that Alicent has, has been a supporter and knows her place. But, but actually, yeah, as the, more, the, more you guys, the more I hear you guys talking about it, maybe there's, there has been a few un, unheard conversations between her and Otto and maybe this is the plan and now she's thinking, hold on a second, once he's carked it, I'm in a whole world of trouble here. Do we think, could she be the one to off her husband, do we think? Is the king going to die at the hand of the queen? I like that. I like that idea. That makes so much sense to me. That, like, yeah, they're, they're high towers standing. Uh, they've got to, like, really stand behind Aegon II now. Pad, if uh, Viserys is not there, it throws Rhaenyra's sort of coronation into doubt because not many people, I, I think the feeling is that not many people other than the king yeah. can vouch for Rhaenyra being the queen. It's such a radical idea. Yeah, I, I just think Alison is the one to look out for. I think she's she's up to no good. Funny, I would uh, I would go the other way. I First, first of all, I feel quite sorry for Alison. Uh, she has been pushed in by her father into uh, the king's arms when she was quite young and when she was um, Rennie's best friend. And I worry for her. I think she's more of a pawn than uh, than we at first suspect. And although the show of strength uh, at the beginning uh, of the episode uh, with Rhaenyras, when they, she sends a musician off, there's that lovely wee power struggle just between the two of them, which was just one yeah. of those lovely touches that they constantly bring into this show. But I, I do worry for her. I worry for her. I think she is a pawn in this particular game of chess. But that's the thing. So she, that, doesn't that make her kind of quest for power even more important? Because as soon as Viserys is dead and Rhaenyra 
theoretically comes into power. She's toast. I mean, she's just absolute toast. Yeah. Wouldn't that spur her on to kind of uh, maybe to to s- slip a bit of uh, a little something in his in his wine, as good as that wine is? Perhaps because, I mean, you know, to back up your point, uh, the one telling moment uh, was whenever she persuaded the king uh, in, the, in the gentlest possible way. She persuaded the king to send aid to Damon uh, when he did not want to. And uh, she did it in a very, very clever way as well. What is best for the realm? Yeah. The argument that cannot be defeated. It is. Yeah, that's true. She's a very savvy politician. I think her father is as well. And I think that's, she's she's like able to play this um, with a bit more, she's able to see the chessboard. Whereas I think Damon and I think Rhaenyra are so hot-headed that I, I mean, I actually think Rhaenyra would be a pretty terrible queen. I can't see her sitting on a throne all day talking about like, you know, trade channels in the narrow sea or anything. I can see her riding a dragon and like leading an army, but not, you know, playing politics. So it's interesting. I think Alison's shown a lot of good qualities that would make her quite a good ruler. Yeah, no, agree with all of that. Right. I tell you what, we're just going to go for a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about Rhaenyra and I guess the, the seeds that may well have been planted in her mind. Back right after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Dragoncast. Uh, It's our episode four, but we're talking about episode three of House of the Dragon, joined by Chris Mandel and Sir Merrin Trant himself, Ian Beattie. Let's talk about Rhaenyra. She had a great episode, I think. A lot, you know, gave a lot of insight into where her mind is and her frustrations. She had, you know, she had some great kind of scenes where she could really kind of get stuck in. There was action. There was some good kind of like dialogue going on. And also, which I want to start with, Viserys planted a little seed in her mind, I think, where they had a bit of a um, a tete-a-tete and a bit of a heart-to-heart and talked about missing them missing his wife and uh, and her mother and about how Viserys admits that he's got stuff wrong and also reiterated to her that he's not wavered at all she is going to be the heir as, as far as he's concerned she is the heir to the throne but then he says something to her that um that I think chirped her up a bit but also gave her a bit of food for thought when he just said um as to your match make it yourself where she was just like, you know, because we'd seen Jason Lannister shooting his shot and missing quite rapidly. Why on earth would you want to build a dragon pit in Casterly Rock, no matter how good the wine is? I mean, what is in that Lannister wine? That's what I want to know. Everyone seems to be getting absolutely wanked on it. But do, you know, I think it's safe to say, and I don't think it's a spoiler to infer this, that, um, you know, Targaryens uh, look within for for partners and wives and husbands and all the rest of it. It wouldn't be uh, out of reach for to expect Rhaenyra's to do that. And there's there's only one one person that may well be a match both uh, mentally and in stature to, to Rhaenyra, and that would be dare I say it, Daemon Targaryen himself. I think Viserys has planted that seed, and now she's thinking, what allies do I need to forge? 
for the best that's best for the realm of the Targaryens. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, now that Rhaenyra is of a of marrying age. I think that's what they referred to her as in this episode. Seventeen, apparently. Seventeen. Of marrying age. Yeah. yeah. Still can't buy uh, cigarettes, probably in yeah. uh, Westeros, but she can marry. Um, but yeah, they're, they're sort of figuring out who she should make her alliances with. And yeah, the, the, she doesn't seem to like a lot of the bachelors. Jason Lannister, which I thought. I would say Jason, odd name for a Lannister. Jason uh, yeah, Lannister. I think it's so funny that it's like Aegon, Aegar, Rhaegar, Baylor, Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really, really funny that it's going to be like Simon Lannister yeah. at some point. So yeah, so she didn't seem to like him because I think she thought what marriage was, what it was being offered to her was, you're going to marry a nice man, go and live in his castle, and you're not going to sit on the throne. So she's rejected everybody, and now her father has said, find who you want because you're, you're going to be queen. Um, I don't know, like, I just think it can't be that hard to find someone you like in Westeros. <laughs> I don't think all, she's been like, trying all... that hard, has she? She's not been I trying that think... hard. No, I don't think that either. And, you know, obviously she wants someone with a good a good house, good head of hair. Uh, you know, it can't be that hard. Yeah. But yeah, I think she's clearly got the hearts for Kristen Cole. Uh, we had the little bonfire uh, hangout this week. Um, but there was a, a different proposition offered in this episode. Uh, I think it was Otto that suggested she marry... Chorus Valerian's son, Lainor, Lainor, who was the guy riding sea smoke. That was him. So that is the brother of the girl that Viserys was going on a, a walk with last episode. Yeah. So that's Lord, an interesting Lord Strong, one. Lord Strong suggested it, didn't he? Instead oh, of yes. uh, Viserys yeah. thought that he was being offered the wonderfully named Sir Harwin Breakbones. Uh, yeah. And instead, uh, it was he was trying to he was trying to get him to uh, to forge That's an alliance right. with the with the sea snakes with Lane, which is a good way of getting the families back together. Yeah, which which you know on on paper was a pretty good idea. I like Lord Strong. I think he's one of the he's one of the few good guys there. I think he reminds me of Maester Damon from or Egg from the, from from Game of Thrones, where he's just like he seems just to be a nice guy, uh, Master Ray, Maester Damon, not Damon. Ian, what did you think to all of that? I couldn't agree with you more on Lord Strong. I think he's shaping up to be a very, very strong advisor. I think he's very, very good. He has the interests of the realm at heart, and he comes up with good ideas. Uh, I would have to say Lenor's looking great. Good-looking kid, great yeah. hair. Good Gives dragon. a big whoop on the woohoo! Good dragon's get, name, yeah. you know. I mean, <laughs> this guy's this guy's well up there for that. I think he's a candidate. I would have very little doubt he is a candidate. Marrying baby Boris, no, that's just not going to happen. Correct. I don't think marrying Damon either is just going to work out. Something tells me Renero uh, will not go for that at all. So Lenor for me is a very very strong contender. Uh, on an aside, I would have to say. And also, lovely that, uh, once again, uh, Viserys uh, follows Alicent's advice. Let her make her own choice. Once again, that advice, that gentle advice is coming through. I have to say, I was hugely disappointed with Jason Lannister, I must say. (laughs) I mean, thank goodness uh, a few generations down the line, we have a much cooler character coming to the fore. He He has all of the arrogance of Jamie. Uh, he has quite a lot of the confidence. Alas, he just doesn't have that bit of style that Jamie had. Um, Tywin would I, not like him, would he? 
No. I, I I have to say he was a bit. I mean, w- what was the line? That wonderful line: "His pride has pride," or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the lines of the episode. And I would have to say, just uh, as a final point, my one of my literally one of my most favorite moments of this episode, and I had to wind it back a couple of times and watch it again. I was laughing so hard. Was the look on Jason's face uh, when Rhaenyra come walks down <laughs> covered in blood? That look was. Priceless. Yeah. <laughs> he was thinking, I dodged a bullet there. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of dragons, and, and that was a great, uh, it, it was a great moment where Lainor did swoop in on, on sea smoke and, uh, and, and wipe them all out. We thought we'd do a bit of a wisdom on dragons. We'd, we had a great scene uh, with, with Lainor swooping in on, on sea smoke. So I thought we'd delve in and uh, discover a bit more about a dragon that we saw a little bit of. Well, we saw the skull of it. Anyway, Balerion, the Black Dread. We saw it in episode one where um, Viserys told uh, Rhaenyra about his vision of what we now know as, the, as the, long, the longest night and winter is coming and all of that. But don't know too much about Balerion the Dread. So here we go. Here's Balerion, the Black Dread wisdom. Beleriand the Black Dread was the fearsome dragon ridden by Aegon the Conqueror during his War of Conquest. He was so big, get this, he could swallow a mammoth whole. His fangs were as long as bastard swords, and when he took flight, his shadow could engulf an entire town. In 1 BC, during the battle known as the Field of Fire, Beleriand, alongside the dragons of Aegon's sister, Vagar and Meraxes, perpetrated the total destruction of the largest army ever fielded against the Targaryens. The battle ended with the absolute annihilation of their enemies and Beleriand used his fiery breath to melt the swords of the fallen and forge them into something called the Iron Throne. In 37 AC, during the uprising of the Faith Militant, Aegon and Visenya's son Maegor the Cruel became the second to mount Beleriand. He burned down the Sept of Remembrance with hundreds of Faith Militant inside. And following the destruction of the Sept, Maegor would replace its ruins with a dragon pit to house all of the Targaryen dragons. In 54 AC, Princess Arya Targaryen claimed Beleriand. She flew off on his back and went missing for more than a year. Despite a reward for information on their whereabouts, there were no sightings of either. Beleriand eventually returned with the princess barely clinging onto his back and barely clinging to life, and she died soon after. The dragon too bore a huge wound, with blood still dripping from it, hot and smoking. It was speculated that Arya was unable to bend the dread to her will, and he'd taken her to Beleriand. King Viserys I Targaryen would become the last rider to bond with Beleriand before the dragon died of old age in 94 AC. Viserys kept the skull of the legendary beast in the Red Keep and would visit it often. Beleriand was the largest dragon seen since the fall of Valyria, but in the time of House of the Dragon, it's rumoured the mighty Vagar, the last of the three Targaryen dragons who fought in the conquest, is still out there somewhere, feeding, growing and waiting to be claimed. There we have it. What what season of House of the Dragon do we think the mythical uh, Vagar is going to make an appearance, Chris? So we, I, I'm going. I'm going for three. It sort of depends on if how if these time jumps increase more and more. I I, I could see next season maybe. It'll be be it'll be the season two cliffhanger maybe. Maybe I think someone will claim the dragon. It would maybe be one of the kids of the kind of current generation. It's got to be someone really fucking good because this is yeah. like the this is like the the dragon to end all dragons well i mean but you have to bond with it don't you it's that you the the dragon chooses yeah. you as much as that don't they so who knows yeah who knows? I'd, I'd love them to sort of talk a bit more about it on the show because i'm still a bit confused as to 
how how you do you like train them with meat or something like do you do you put a lead on them like how do you get them to sort have of you not like seen you? how to train your dragon chris it's exactly the same as that just this has just got a bit more incest just a bit more okay yeah yeah i'd like a little bit more on that because it is kind of interesting i tell you one thing that i'm i'm intrigued about and i think they will hopefully that possibly will address it here i'd be good keen to get your thoughts on this is that one thing i absolutely adored about thrones was there was always that overarching sense of dread, which was the Long Night, which was the Night King, which was this irredeemable kind of like horror that that just kind of like seeped into every pore that no matter how dangerous the battle for the throne was, it didn't matter because something was coming. And I'm kind of missing that horror element at the moment. And I'm wondering, what do you think about that? Do you think they're going to inject a bit of that at some point? Or is House of the Dragon purely political and a kind of more inward looking story? What do you think? I'm as certain as I can be that they're going to inject that uh, at some point. some point, I would say over the next couple of episodes, there will be a shadow that will cross this realm beyond that, because that is what is just so ingrained in this kingdom, the kingdom of Westeros, uh, this is absolutely ingrained into this kingdom and afflicting the rulers of this kingdom. There is so much more to come. Uh, cast your mind back to season one of Game of Thrones when we had just watched episode three of season one. You know, we were still getting to know the houses. We were still getting to know the people. Uh, the story had not even begun yet uh, in that sense. So there is so, so much more to come. And I have absolutely no doubt that we will not be disappointed. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I completely, completely echo what Ian said. I think season one, I just remember this sense that like, as soon as the match is lit, this whole thing is going to blow up. And that happened with Ned getting executed and it threw everything into chaos. And I think season one will end very similarly where suddenly it's... Once the infighting starts it's going to feel really like, oh God, this is this is just going to get worse and worse for everyone. Because I think what we do know is that this ends badly for like everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. And it's just once that starts, you know, it's it's going to be really exciting to watch it play out. Yeah, I think we need we need we need a few people to show their show their hand, don't we? I think yeah, the, uh, but I think we just need more stakes at the moment. There's still quite a small cast, so I think I would imagine it's going to grow a bit more. They're going to grow older. And then there's more to be sort of threatened with by the, the infighting. When do we think that transition's going to come then? Because we know that um, both Alicent and Rhaenyra are recast. We, you know, if you're a if you're a sneaky Pete and you look at the IMDb page, you'll know who plays Aegon and, and and all of those guys. You know, we do see them as as adults. And when do we think that's going to happen? That's I, do we think it's going to be at the end of the season or or, or a bit sooner than that? I know when it. I know when it happens. Oh, so I'm saying nothing. <laughs> See, you've no gone ahead and... spoilers, please. <laughs> I tell you what, though, we, shall we treat ourselves to a little glimpse ahead at episode four? Absolutely. Okay, what we're going to do now? We're going to we're going to we're going to watch the teaser. You'll be able to hear it here, uh, and we're going to come back and see what we can dissect from it. Don't go anywhere. From my blood come the prince that was promised, and his will be the song. Ice and fire. The House of the Dragon will stand as one for a further generation. Who will it be? The brother? They name me King of the Narrow Sea. 
the daughter. Your courtship is at an end. So I can be a remedy for your political headache. You are my political headache. What a little princeling of three. I have discomforting news. This is a vile accusation. Who is responsible for this gossip? I will take their eyes. It is not in Rhaenyra's nature to be deceitful. I cannot say the same for your brother. Okay, holy fucking shit. That looks amazing. Uh, we were just literally talking about how we need to step up a notch and we've got we've got some kind of disgusting accusation. We've got an incredible haircut and uh, we've got what seems to be magic. Did I did I spy someone doing a bit of magic in there as well? Goodness me. What did you what did you think uh what did you, what did you make of that, Ian? Uh, well, once again, you know, the, the the trailers are an art form, aren't they? I mean, in in yeah. this show they just oh oh, oh. <laughs> the, the the dragon attacking the ship yeah was the thing I picked out above all else that was is that a Targaryen ship yeah Rhaenyra and Kristen were on their ship and that was Damon's dragon that's, wow that's that's a big deal I mean, <laughs> I mean that's, that's kind of yeah that's that's certainly kind of uh, burning bridges as well as ships one would imagine uh, wow. What do we make of, was that, did it look like there was some kind of handing over ceremony? There was some kind of ceremonial thing going on there, right? Yeah, it looked like Rhaenyra's coronation that would sort of, now she's of age, that they sort of, you know, and then you make you, it's not like queen region, but like some sort of like queen in waiting. Officiate the whole thing so that. Yeah. Damon got a new haircut for the occasion. Amazing. A very nice haircut as well, I thought. Very Very nice haircut. Yeah. Yeah. What, um. What do we think the disgusting accusation is, though? That I mean, for 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 a family that f- fuck your brothers and sisters, what's the disgusting accusation that made Viserys wince like that? Because <laughs> that's how how dark does it go? I mean, you've already seen got- it, Chris. You shut up. I can I'm, I can talk about what I. <laughs> this section of the podcast is very hard because I have to pretend not to have seen the other 57 minutes. Oh, you've only seen up to episode six, right? Yeah. Oh, was that all? Completely for work purposes. I was forced <laughs> to watch it. I didn't want to. I, I, said, I, no. I was. I behaved myself and didn't watch ahead and then had my powers revoked and missed out. So now I'm really angry. So I've, I've not seen episode oh. four yet. So I'm really excited. Um, Damon haircut, but also a crown. He's the king of the narrow seas. I heard him say. He's crowned what? himself. Yeah, he's, he's crowned he's, himself yeah. king of the after seas. taking over the stepstones and sorting all that. He's just made up a. It's sort of like when I put on LinkedIn that I'm like executive director of the flat. <laughs> exactly, the CEO <laughs> of your own limited yeah, company. Yeah, like do all, manage all the affairs in the in the flat, and that you know, very exactly. very good. Yeah, that's kind of what he's done. I think. Chris, you're not allowed to be part of this. Um, Jamie, uh, what (laughs) vile accusation would be good for Otto? I think we must ask ourselves. So, so what you think? So he's the one that's 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 planted this this vile accusation. So, whatever vile accusation it is, it must be to Otto's advantage. It has to be. So it has to be about Rhaenyra's parentage, maybe. Uh, It has to be about Rhaenyra's in some which way. Got to be. Or has to be, or maybe or her current behaviour. All of, ah, Otto is 
I think, one of the only people aside from the maesters to know about Viserys's illness. So could it could he could he have leaked that by any chance? Could he have kind of said, "I wouldn't I wouldn't buy him a Christmas I wouldn't I wouldn't buy him a Christmas present just yet." He's got uh, he's got a he's got a massive yeah he's got a massive weeping sore on his back yeah. Don't be watching any box sets. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Don't start the Sopranos. I'll just tell you what happens. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, though. Very, very tantalising. I can't wait. <laughs> Chris is staying very tight-lipped. He he knows. Yeah. He, he's giving well, nothing away. The original master of whispers over here. Yeah, exactly. You're, <laughs> you're the virus with your little sparrows. <laughs> Fuck off, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, thank you so, so much for joining us, buddy. Really, really appreciate it. An honour uh, to have uh, an alumni of Thrones on and such an esteemed one at that. And it's, you know what, you know what, so what I love about you, Ian, is, you know, I've met a hell of a lot of you Thrones cast. You are by far one of the most passionate fans of Thrones out of all yeah. of them as well. And it, and it shows yeah. and it's, it's, it's great. And thanks I'm for joining us and spending and, and giving us a bit of your time. Really, really Lovely. appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, David. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks, Thank as you. ever, to Chris. Uh, next week, I'm very excited. Mummy is home. Uh, joining Chris and I uh, on Dragoncast next week is... I feel a bit nervous, actually. She's my boss. She's the, she's the mother of Thronecast. Sue Perkins is going to be popping on and giving us what she thinks is back. I hope she doesn't tell me off for assuming, uh, assuming the throne, albeit in podcast form. But thanks so much for listening and watching on the YouTube channel. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share amongst your friends. If you've got any thoughts, do uh, give us a tweet at dragoncast underscore pod or just drop us a line at dragoncast at daftdoris.com. Until next time... Dracarys. Don't forget House of the Dragon airs exclusively on Sky Atlantic at 2am every Monday, then repeats that same evening at 10. You can also get it on demand via now. If you'd like to get involved in the podcast, just head over to Twitter at dragoncast underscore pod or email dragoncast at daftdoris.com and leave us your Easter eggs, predictions and thoughts on the show. You can also watch this episode over on our YouTube channel. Just search for Dragoncast Jamie East. Any support, whether it's a follow, a share, a mention to your friend on the bus or a tattoo on your backside is very much appreciated. Dragoncast is hosted by me, Jamie East, along with Chris Mandel, produced by Connor Driscoll, edited by Buddy Peace, and is a Daft Doris production. Dracaris. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.